0: This is an Equity Mates Media podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO.
2: That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here. Finfest is coming.
1: We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival.
2: With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience.
1: So save the date, 15th of October 2022. Head to equitymates.com/slash finfest to register your interest today.
2: EquityMates FinFest is powered by stake. <laughs> I will say this about
3: investing everything you do learn is cumulative what i learned at 20 is Equity.
1: Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates a podcast that follows our journey of investing whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going?
2: I'm very good, Bryce. I'm excited for this interview. There is no more exciting space at the moment than crypto, NFT, the metaverse, Web3, a lot of buzzwords, uh, a lot of big ideas that we're trying to get our head around. And we're joined by an expert today who uh, is really going to be able to help us. And has a pretty amazing story in terms of uh, how he's been getting around this space. So I'm excited for this interview.
1: Absolutely. It is our pleasure to welcome to the studio Ishan Hark. Ishan, welcome.
3: So so glad to be here. Thank you so much.
1: So Ishan is the co-founder of GeminiO, a $50 million Australia-based fund targeting crypto, NFT and metaverse investments. So we thought it was a great opportunity to sit down with Ishan and unpack uh everything that's going on in the space get an idea of what's uh attracting his attention and uh hopefully get a few tips along the way yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
2: and uh figure out how we can build something uh in the metaverse yeah yeah yeah. uh but Ishan (laughs) uh when we were researching for this interview we um uh we read about your backstory and how you got into this space which is we think a really interesting story so we'd love to start there um What was your first uh, introduction into the metaverse and... um and, and all of this space, I guess.
3: Yeah, if we go back to, like, high school, uh, <laughs> yeah, I built what many would consider is, like, a metaverse-like business. And so I've been a gamer sort of my entire life. And if you guys know a game named Minecraft, mm. um, for anyone listening that doesn't know that, your kids probably play it or your grandkids. Um, you know, this this was a game where you can, like, sort of design and create these virtual worlds and then monetize them by selling virtual items to players. And it wasn't on the blockchain. Um, so this is what you would call, like, a web To metaverse you know in many ways when i I did this business it was great exposure to like running a proper business you know (laughs) i figured out how to code how to market distribution hiring people my introduction in the space was really um running this business gave me the insight for when i explored other digital technologies like crypto and nfts yeah to me it just made complete sense the metaverse wasn't like an if but a when i was just thinking hey yeah if my players in the minecraft game if they owned the items that they were buying from me and they were trading and swapping in and i earned you know this fee from from creating these items um there would be a lot more engagement probably a lot more um the average revenue per user would be a, a lot more um and so to me i was like hey yeah this is going to happen soon. And so, yeah, during this time, uh, like I guess any other kids that are making, um, you know, online businesses, I kind of got addicted to the the rush of making money online, like out of nowhere. I think I was a very curious kid that thought business and investing was very fascinating. And now that I had like money coming in from a small business, you know, I turned to the markets and, you know, loved the concept of your money, making money as, as everyone does. And so, yeah, I, I went pretty ham on investing um, during the high school phase. I was one of the top posters on like hot copper um i remember like on uh in physics class i was like reading through all the four c's of all the small caps and um looking at all the three b's i think it's like two a now but you know calculating the fully diluted market cap of all these like uh, companies and um i was part of all the rallies that, that were in the past like five years uh, brain chip get swift um the weed boom the milk boom all of it um and so yeah all, all that stuff i was doing you know, just, just got me introduced into sort of investing in business, I guess. Making
1: money out of nowhere it must be nice. <laughs> so Ishan, you were an investor in uh, Animoca Brands. They're a company that were focused on the crypto gaming space, but they were booted off the ASX in 2020. So can you tell us about this investment?
3: So um, add to the sort of backstory, because I was doing, doing all that stuff, I guess I was like, Involved in commerce and code. That's what I was primarily doing. Um, And so it only made sense that I would go study like finance and computer science in university. Um, And then during uni, I was trying to find like the next big investment. Everyone wants to like find like the one that goes 100x. Um, And so during that time, while I was looking for that, I was like, okay, I need to, you know, I need to like work for people. I need to learn. I need to like, I've never done any of this stuff before. So let me learn from people that can sort of help me. And I was doing pretty well professionally. You know, I, I worked for a guy. Named Sean Puri who sold his company to Amazon. He was in Silicon Valley, and I started as like a glorified intern, but I ended up becoming a VP for his family office, investing in building sort of the companies under his Amazon winnings. And um, I did the podcast stuff, uh, my first million, and you know we had a lot of investors and sort of um, you know entrepreneurs come on that and you know, when you kind of, I was editing all the episodes. So when I'm hearing thousands of hours of advice, um, I kind of start applying that to every single investment I see. I'm like, Hey, with this guy and this guy and this girl, and they all sort of apply it, um, the same sort of thinking to this investment and so that that ended up being sold to HubSpot um, which is a public listed company in the states I was head of growth for um, Wes Blundy, who's based in Sydney and also Sean's like eight-figure DTC brands yeah I had a bit of dry powder at this time this is probably like in 2020 I was doing pretty well and you tie all that together plus my insight from those Minecraft days when I came across Anamoka that that was um, a a no-brainer for me Um, I had some money now and initially I came across Anamoka probably and when I was 18 years old, and I put like $2,500 into the stock, it was publicly listed on the ASX, like you guys mentioned, and it went, it quadrupled. It did well until it delisted, and it was a pretty sad day for everyone that was in in the stock. Um, and although although it was technically worth zero dollars, Anamoca still represented to me single-handedly the the best asymmetric upside bet to nfts and metaverse when it was late 2020 so it's not too long ago i think crypto hasn't hadn't made like the new highs yet and nfts and metaverses it's only like almost a year like a year ago but nfts and metaverses weren't really a thing at all uh in terms of in the the mainstream but anamoka itself you know was hong kong-based company dealing in blockchain and crypto assets um at the time was worth nothing and so this was not a company sort of or a market that was on the up and up, um, so it didn't make sense to buy then. And so many wanted out. All, all the sort of past experience I had, I was like, no, this is t- well, this company's ticking the boxes. I wanted in more than ever. My conviction grew. Others started to come a bit frail. This was no longer a public company, so I couldn't just market buy the stock. I had to go out and find shareholders. Um, and so I ended up coordinating a, a block of shares with, tra- uh, with uh, you know, seven shareholders to buy that at a significant discount. Um, I-, I guess in a way, they thought they were shoveling. Dirt onto me, but you know, I thought I was buying a gold mine essentially for free, right? Um, and so I, that was at the end of 2020. Bought the block of shares. I didn't know it was going to happen so fast, um, but. NFT volume started skyrocketing um, immensely, and shortly after I bought, I bought the shares, there was like funds reaching out to me saying, "Hey, they want to buy up all my shares for a million bucks." Um, so I was like, "Oh yeah, wow, this is like you know, I'm, I'm 21. I, I d- never had like any you know money before, so it was a little bit crazy." But I ultimately said no because a They were super aggressive in wanting my shares. Um, So I thought, yeah, something's around the corner. And so, you know, my hunt feels right. A few weeks later, they raised a billion dollar valuation. And so, for context, I bought the shares for about a 50 million valuation. And yeah, 12 months after that, they raised at like an $8 billion valuation. So that's like the sort of Adam Ocker story in a nutshell, uh, I'd say, and, and how I sort of got into it and, and did, did all that.
2: It's a pretty uh, phenomenal, uh, I guess, story. You know, you had a metaverse business while you were in high school. Most most people wouldn't have know the term metaverse when they were in high school. Uh, <laughs> then you had this serious conviction for a company that was uh, booted off the ASX and was it was seriously sort of unloved and unappreciated and you know starting uh and and i guess having such a big win at such an early age you know a lot of people would take a break maybe buy a house i think mark cuban when he uh when he had his big windfall just bought a round the world ticket and went traveling for a while um but you're doubling down on this space you're raising a fund to invest in crypto web three metaverse um why double down and, and raise the fund rather than uh Enjoy the windfall. I'm not like
3: really special in terms of there's plenty of young people who have been beneficiaries of this bull market, um, and so I've met some of them. And uh, you know, let's say that they're much cooler than me, right? They've got yeah, you know, supercars, the houses, uh, bottle service every weekend type thing. Um, that's what you know Jeez. crypto is kind of known for. Um, unfortunately, I'm just a massive nerd, and because of that, you know, I, I, I truly see what's in front of me. While I was you know a part of these projects and investing in them um, early on, just run up in crypto recently uh, was just crypto as a whole going from one trillion to three trillion and that's like in two years and although that's a lot like you know one to three trillion, I believe that this is going to 100 trillion over the next few decades and so that's what excites me. Um, the long game excites me um, you know even just in a five-year time frame I think there's probably going to be many instances of companies going from zero zero to a billion dollars in lightning speed. I can't take a break I feel like I don't want to. Um, I, I feel like missing a few months could mean you miss out on sort of these generational outcomes um, and, and so you know I don't get distracted by the paper wealth because um, you know all of my ancra I still hold all of it. So it's, it's on paper um, that that's the investment. But even the liquid investments have gone well for me because I have did a bunch of these metaverse investments. Um, yeah, I'm just putting that all back into the fund. And, uh, you know, although I'm you know, extremely grateful for the position and the sort of investments going well, the so-called like windfall is, is relatively insignificant compared to, I think, the trillions of dollars of value that's going to come um, over the next 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Um, and, and I like that, Um. There's like this Warren Buffett, uh, he had like a quote back and forth, like in the eighties or something where he's like, I don't care about a company's quarter results. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. Don't look quarter to quarter. Um, don't get you know bogged down and, and take a break then. Um, I think, yeah, this is just kind of starting and w- what great time to sort of raise a fund and double down, especially when things are like 80% off discount. Um, so that's, I, I feel like it just makes sense to, you know, I'm a bargain hunter in in, in nature. Um, I bought the Anamoka shares at, you know, basically dirt cheap for free. Um, I'd love to do those sort of um, investments again. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, nice. So let's turn our attention to Jaminio. You're partnering with Jack Teo, the son of TPG founder David Teo, and you've launched Jiminio. So, how did this partnership come about?
3: Yeah, so uh, I guess people started hearing hearing about the investment, um, and. Jack Teo, he, he sort of, um, his family started TPG and did the merger with Vodafone. Um, he sort of ran Teo Capital, built Oscar Wiley. Um, so he did all these things, all he had all these accolades and he cold emailed me after reading like an article about my Anamoka investment. And he said he was very impressed with the investment and that we should chat. Um, it was literally just like those words. <laughs> it was very quick, short. Um, and so we just started, chatting every day about projects that we're like involved in, we're exchanging deal flow. And I think after a while, he was like, look, everything you're touching is sort of turning to gold. You should start a fund and I'll back you. Yeah, that's kind of the story. It's it's pretty simple, cut clear. Um, It's pretty random. You know, I, I never really wanted to sort of I guess, start a fund. I was like, Hey, uh, I think a, a part of the reason why I'm doubling down now is like I said, my Anamoka stuff, it's it's still like, I hold all of it. Um, I'm doubling down. I I don't have more money to deploy into all the great products I'm seeing. So um, why not raise a fund to keep doing what I'm doing um, and, and to do it with him?
2: So you're raising money from uh, high net wealth individuals, uh, many of whom probably, well, I'm assuming most of whom uh, didn't make their money in this space. So Crypto, NFT, Metaverse, Web three. I'm sure you get a lot of confused looks from investors uh, when you're speaking to them. Yeah. How do you describe it? Give us the elevator pitch for this whole area of the market and and why it's so exciting.
3: Yeah, I guess the pitch here is like you're right. A lot of the um, the roadshow I did to for to to raise the money, um, it was an education lesson for most people. And the first thing I would say is like at its core is the world going to be more digitally immersive or less, right? Are we going to go from these like cool electric cars, like a Tesla, it's nice, futuristic, simple, um, or, and are we going to go from those and then go back to like horses and carriages, but probably not. Right. Um, and so, you know, if that's the case, then as the digital world starts to eat the physical, yeah, I hope I hope you agree with me that digital assets that live within those digital worlds are going to be deeply re-rated um, to reflect that. So, you know, I, I think attention is a derivative layer of what forms GDP um, in, in the physical world. If more of your attention switches from the physical and to digital, I think that your dollars uh, are going to be spent in, in a digital world on digital items and less on the physical world with physical items. And so a lot of people are coming to this conclusion that these digital worlds are providing an entire new layer of GDP and it's up for grabs. Yeah. A lot of these uh, investors, like you're right, they're pretty old dudes that don't know much about um, any, uh, this, you know these digital worlds and they've never like played these games. And so I say to them, like, look, if you don't care, one day your children or your grandchildren might care the same, if not more, about their digital lives and their real one even just today like people care about how, you know they don't really care about how they look in real life so much when they take a photo on Instagram and they put a filter on it they care so much about how it's going to be perceived online in a feed you know some of that stuff is going to transcribe and, and just get more and more um, sort of towards to, towards uh, sort of immersiveness uh, in, in the future and so even when um, some of the guys don't agree with me and don't agree with that I'm um, statement I say it's fine because you know trillion dollar Facebook does right yeah. <laughs> it's why they made like this initial $10 billion bet that the world is getting more immersive. So, um, and then when you just look at that, you know, that $10 billion, that was in 2021, they're spending more year after year They have a minimum budget of $50 billion over the next five years. That's one fourth of their earnings. And then you you just take that, you take one company's, you know, one company's annual year, one year budget of R&D and compare it to the market caps and the valuations of some of these tokens and assets. It's trading less than that. You know, something, something's off here. Either big tech is overinvesting, um, or, or you know, or, or some of these uh, assets in the digital world um, are probably undervalued. That's that's the thesis and the elevator pitch of hey, this might be where everything's at.
1: It's a fascinating space, one that we're constantly sort of trying to get our head around, and offers a lot of discussion in the office. What what assets are you targeting for the fund and then how do you think about investing in the assets themselves, you know, NFTs, cryptos, tokens that you just mentioned versus the companies that are making these assets, you know, the Decentralands, the Sandboxes, the Roblox of the world? Where do you sit there?
3: I explain that and you have to look at like where does the investable opportunities lie? because i can say all that yeah but it's like yeah where do we it's where do we invest and i think it's it's highly fragmented right it's not just venture equity you you really do in a way you need to live in these worlds to take advantage of all the asymmetric upside there's like the virtual hosting environments that may be equity or token based but then within those worlds there's nfts as well um, and so whether it's an asset in the form of utility or display, um, or digital real estate or like these, you know, art collectibles. It's all pretty, all pretty fragmented. Um, and so, the, the our our core investment thesis it goes from like hey in 1999 which is you know the year I was born there was like a boom happening kind of like the one happening right now and it wasn't for like crypto um, or NFTs but it was for something we're very familiar with today which is the internet it's the ultimate case study for what's about to happen again back then when the internet wasn't so familiar um, there was about 150 million people on it uh, and I bet the 150 million people didn't think you know they were um, so early. But having 5 billion people on the internet today, 150 million sounds pretty early to me. Um, and so that's roughly the same amount of people that have crypto wallets today. I think we're very, very early. Biggest gains are yet to be realized, and so I look at okay, what were those 150 million people doing back then um, to sort of help? Where where should I invest um, the money? Back then, um, I was a baby, so I don't really know. But like (laughs) actually, like reading on the internet uh, and what people were doing is it was pretty boring, right? Like from what I've heard, the internet was a way for people to access and read information, mostly news and research, um, and. But the innovation there was like the cost of transport for content became essentially free. And so as time goes on, structural changes happen that allows like the second wave of the internet web 2.0 people had more access, faster internet speeds, cameras in their pockets, websites and apps that created a social life online. And then that sort of dawned the era of everyone becoming a content creator, whether it's music, videos, games, art, whatever selfies. If you guys have taken a selfie and put it online, you're a content creator. Um, And so, internet gets more vibrant and richer community starts forming. We start spending more times in our digital lives than our real ones. Um, and so, that that's when I you know say to my investors like look metaverse has already been a thing uh, like this isn't um, something that's new The habits haven't been just forming now they've been forming over the past two decades your Twitter feed is a metaverse Facebook's a metaverse going through TikToks a metaverse playing Fortnite is a metaverse um, when you're your, when, at home when you're on your couch and on your phone um, and just scrolling through feed uh, what are you doing in real life you're just static in the real life you're not moving you're like your mind is being consumed by this phone you're living in a digital world. If if we sort of clear up what the metaverse is, then within them, what's like the sort of the next step? What more is there to be done? That's sort of where we come in. We're like, okay, these metaverses are being built. The next wave of this is people, if they live in it, they're going to want to start, you know, owning things. You know, that's where I'm like, okay, the investment thesis is we're going to invest in anything that that enables that ownership mechanism in these digital worlds. um, That that's going to these billions of people that come on board, um, they're going to want to start owning, and so existing, those existing metaverses that I just talked about, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, whatever, they've already, uh, you know, proven that, um, people will buy items in digital, in digital worlds. Like we've already, this is not like a, I don't have to, I didn't have to argue with any investors about this. Like if you look at a Fortnite or a Roblox, um, that entire industry is generating a hundred billion dollars a year in revenue. And that's, that's people <laughs> that are willing to spend money on something that's physically intangible because they are living in another world where it means something to them or to their friends or to their hip of that world and so we agreed. Digital items can have real world value because people are already spending money on it. Um, and then the interesting part is like, okay, how much more money would you spend if you truly owned these items? It wasn't by a platform, but you actually owned them, and you could take these items to other platforms or you could sell it for some money, less or more than what you paid for it. Um, maybe you'd be willing to convert more to purchase something that wouldn't immediately go to zero, um, or you could you'd purchase it because hey, I can actually make some money here. That that encompasses that that world encompasses. A, the companies that are building those type of experiences, so like like you mentioned, the Sandbox, which we're investors in um, before the fund, like in Decentraland, those are the people that are creating these, um, they're using software to create these virtual worlds. And then later, they'll, they'll couple it with hardware, where right now it's maybe on the PC or on your phone. But yeah, later we have some integration with maybe an Oculus or some, some augmented reality headset to make it more immersive. And then the protocol layer is the NFTs um, that lets you own the actual um, uh, you know, creations that you're building in, in those worlds. And so that, that's one layer, like you mentioned. Um, second layer would be the actual tokens themselves that... That drive um, the economies of these world, which I think a lot of people don't really realize. And I think this is very interesting for your um, listeners to understand is I think a lot of investors will miss out on these new age assets because they apply old age investing principles to them. You can't value these, um, you know, world's like stocks. You have to value them like nations, like countries. Uh, you can't really use value investing frameworks for blockchains because you come up with these like ridiculous ratios like 5,000 X, 7,000 X or, or whatnot. And so, you know, when you look at some of these tokens, if you want to value it like a country, you have to prove that there's a, you know, one-to-one relationship between how much price of the token goes up and and the growth rate of that token GDP, aka probably like the, you know, the aggregate output of that economy. I think the value of, of the chain comes from probably the economic activity that it supports. So if you're trying to like relay it with real life and in the physical world, the economic output... Could be transaction growth of the chain of the blockchain. Um, so as as transactions go up, um, you know we'll see price should go up. If there's wallet growth, wallet growth is kind of like the working population of, of like a real life eco- a real world economy. Um, wallet growth goes up, price should go up, and then there's the stuff like TVL growth, which is like the amount of um, tokens that are like locked and staked um, in, in, in one of these projects. And so that could be like the financial se- sector of the economy. These are sort of new age assets. When you when you're valuing these tokens, that's that's kind of a way to look at them and to invest in. And then there's the direct NFTs, which you could do a million things with these NFTs. Right now, they're used for like flexing, and people are buying apes for like a million dollars. That looks absolutely insane, but. Yeah, in the future, a lot of these NFTs won't be like worth hundred thousand dollars per NFT. They'll just be regular. You know, under ten dollars, you buy them, you use them, you sell them. Um, e- even if the the price of like these NFTs go down as a whole, it, I think what's really important to look at is the transaction volume and the actual use case behind them. You know, th- that's what we're looking at. Those are the projects. Those are the three areas that the venture equity, which is the companies that are building these environments and host these virtual hosting environments in the token space, we're looking at investing in any tokens that are powering entire economies and there's actual use cases behind them and, and, and like kind of powering an entire nation or a country. And then in terms of the NFT space, we're not looking to, we're not investing in the sort of toads and, and the, you know, the skulls um, that are, you know, go off for like $100,000. We're like to invest in the actual utility behind them, whether it's a piece of land in one of these worlds that you can own and then you can build experiences on those lands that generate income. Because remember, this is the first time that you can have a um, a, a digital asset that's yield generating which is like insane you could uh, I've got a friend that bought a piece of land in the sandbox um, and is like getting some designer pay some designer like 300 bucks to make an Eiffel Tower on it and he's just char- he's charging people like five sand to come and just look at the Eiffel Tower and that's, that's income generating um, he bought the land for like 35 bucks made, he's already made a couple hundred dollars um, it, this is the kind of world we're heading into where like there's unlimited possibilities um, you know a, a great one is probably um, get get people to understand why I'm interested in the GameFi space. It's probably like the F1 Delta time or like any, like the racing metaverses where you own the racetrack. That's the, that's the piece of land. And then you can host these you know, races that have a prize pool. And then people will pay an entry fee to sort of race on that for the prize pool. And then that's how your land becomes income generating. There's so many um, opportunities uh, to go through. So three main assets, NFTs, Tokens um, and, and the equity, and you know, the companies that are building them, and then within them probably the stuff that excites me most is the GameFi stuff because that's I—that's my background. I've been a gamer. That's what I understand. But it can encompass everything. There's, you know, DeFi. There's the on-ramps and off-ramps from going from fiat into tokens. There's a lot of space. So I, I just gave you guys like a, a massive rant. Um, but it, it is just I think, I think it's yeah, pretty important cool to understand. It's, yeah, it's really fragmented.
2: It's fascinating. And just some of those examples and uh, what you're talking about there is just, it just blows the mind in terms of this whole world is sort of being created before our eyes and there's a there's a real gold rush there, I guess, in terms of people trying to figure it out and trying to see the opportunities. We're going to take a quick break and then we'd really love to get into, uh, I guess, what the future could look like and some of the different players vying for space in this gold rush. But uh, before then, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So, Sean, before the break, uh, we spoke about your background, how you got into the Metaverse Web3 crypto space and a little bit about the fund that you're raising. Uh, but now we'd really love to get into, I guess, the space itself and what the future looks like. So let's start broad because I need to start broad before we get specific just to get my head around it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give us an idea of what the future could look like as digital worlds and digital assets start to take precedence over physical worlds and physical assets.
3: There's pros and cons to the the, the future that we're heading into. I think a lot of people are very scared when I say, hey, look, um, a a large portion of your 24 hours right now that you're living in the physical world um, will be slowly converting into a digital world. And people think, oh, great, we're going to be, it's like a dystopian type world where we have like these, you know, headsets on our head for like half the day. And, and you know, we we sort of become, it's like that Wally um, type world that we're living in. Everyone gets super fat. Um, So, you know, in a way, like I, I personally don't advocate for that. I think that the world that I'm most excited about is this is beyond entertainment. Um, I, I think when you when you're allowed to own on digital worlds, that gives ownership means like you can earn, and um, that's 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 the magical thing with this whole metaverse stuff is that we will soon live in a world, and we've already had this um, actually occur past year where anyone from anywhere can start earning money digitally online um, and the barriers to entry will just get um, lower and lower. And I guess to give you an example of that is there was a metaverse called Ax Infinity um, that, you know, some people know of where it caught a lot of attention in the Philippines and these developing nations where, you know, there's people that were in poverty that heard about this game. If you guys don't know what this game is, it's basically like the Angry Birds of the metaverse. It's like a little phone game. You buy these cute creatures, um, you can train them up. You can verse other people with their teams of creatures. And if you win, you get the token. And with that token, you can sell it for some real money. This, this dawned like this new era of what they call play to earn, these play to earn games, the outcome of that has been pretty inspiring to see. And um, this is like the very first layer of what could um, happen in the future, where right now, uh, you know, people were playing these games on their phones and they were earning some money and some of them were supplementing the sort of lost COVID income. Some of them created fortunes. Um, there, there's, there's plenty of, um, you know, case studies and this. I urge people to watch the documentary on Axie Infinity and that sort of um, outcome that you can just watch it on YouTube. And that, that was the first case of it. It's like there's pretty, there's, there's a, it, I think the biggest thing that excites me is a lot of the time in the past, it was usually like nerdy kids like me playing these games, but now this—the the metaverse eats everyone. And what I mean by that is. In the Philippines, there was an 80-year-old couple playing this game to pay for medicine. This is no longer just like nerdy kids in their bedroom. This is like, hey, if there's some real working opportunities, you know, from your bed, like we, we, had, we had COVID unfortunately happen and uh, plenty of people um, resulted to, you know, rem- remote work and working from online. Um, I think that's the sort of future we're heading in where if people want to, and, and, and some people need to, right, they don't have any other opportunities elsewhere a lot more people um, beyond just the gaming stuff are going to find either, you know, these opportunities online and work from online. And um, it's it's not so much the, the sort of world that we, we luckily live in, in these sort of first world countries. Um, a lot of these developing nations are going to um, sort of fast track a lot of growth through tapping into the metaverse. And I think that's, that's, that's the future that I, I like and I want to see and I want to help build. Um, but in terms of what our lives would be like, uh, I, I feel like... You know, a, a lot of it will be. It's it's kind of like the Ready Player One, or if you guys have read Snow Crash, um, it, it's a world where for the first time magic can start to seem real. Um, you know, we've got a combination of technologies. You know, if, if you just put like an Oculus headset on your like your grandma or something like that, it is insane. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have done it, but yeah, it is insane. Like how, how fast uh, some of this um, technology is progressing um, to make digital more immersive. I know Meta previously known as Facebook are working on like the finger haptics to make it so you can actually touch things in a digital environment. The way it looks like is you will either access you know, a digital world, um, probably through a headset, uh, or, or glasses. And it's, it's going to most likely meld with the physical world. So some form of augmented reality, um, you'll either work from it, you will, um, game in it, you will be educated through it. You can you know hang out with your friends in it. And then through that, um, the world will be pretty, um, magical, right? This is you're no longer restricted by, you know, physical space or, you know, physical, um, constraints. Yeah. You, know, you can see dragons flying along in the sky. Like, you can't do that in real life, right? It's, you know, the world gets a bit more colorful in, in that way. And on top of that, um, since you're living in it, you'll, you'll, probably start wanting to own some stuff. So just like how you'd go out, you'd buy a new apartment, you'll go to like a furniture store and, and you'd buy a table for your home because you want to decorate it. This is your place of where you live. This is, you're so proud of it. Um, you're going to feel the same about your digital home where you're going to have friends from other countries and your friends that, or maybe like in different cities, they want to come visit your home. You're going to want to spend real money to have a cool looking table because like, this is now where you, Hang out and where you want to impress your friends. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of the idea of where. This, this is going and, you know, it's, it's been developing over the past few decades. We, we're caring more and more about what we look like and um, our, our digital presence. It's just going to sort of manifest itself more as we go along.
2: All I think when you say your digital home is that's another house price that will get out of reach and we won't be able yeah, to afford. Get in now.
1: <laughs> get in now. I remember coming across a, an NFT that was a replica, replica of an apartment in the Burj Khalif.
2: Okay. So okay. yeah, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> not bad. Level 30 or something like that.
2: Did it come with like a, a like you could, you, it was your ha- place in the metaverse?
1: I think it was your place in the metaverse. Okay. Yeah. They were, there was like a, uh, just like you, that you're buying off the plan here. They said they were going to build like a full replica and you could buy one of the apartments in there and eventually yeah, take your mates
3: and. Go hang out. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, like guys listening, um, if you think house prices in the real world are pretty expensive now, just wait. The, the metaverse, um, they're going to get expensive soon enough. Um, so I'd recommend, yeah, get live in a tiny house in the real world and just put the headset on and live in a mansion in the metaverse. Um, that, that's the way to go.
2: Just wait Jeez. until the banks start uh, realizing they can offer mortgages in the metaverse. Yeah, just true. opens up a whole other world yeah, for them. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah all, all the stuff is going to get pretty yeah, pretty exciting.
2: So when we when we talk about metaverse, one thing um, that uh, we often try and get our heads around is the different visions of the metaverse. So like Facebook obviously changed their name to Meta and they're building their version of the metaverse. Uh, NVIDIA has been speaking a lot about the Omniverse Um uh, then we've heard from a number of people in the crypto space about the decentralized uh, metaverse. Um, how do you think about these different visions for the metaverse? And I guess the key question is: Are they compatible with each other, or is are some of them going to have to lose as as this whole vision gets? built out? You know,
3: I think for the most part, yeah, not a big fan of what Facebook and uh, a lot of the big tech guys coming in and what they're doing. I think um, a lot of the they're building these walled gardens, right? Um, where, yeah, they're going to want you to, um, well, A, they want you to live in their world um, and, and, you know, use their services. And the, the whole, I think, you know, the crypto the community was born out of, hey, this is decentralized. Um, we we want to use whatever we want. We want to work together. We want We want all these projects to sort of, Mended and work together. We don't want to, you know, go to a centralized authority and and start building adjacent to them. So, can they be? Are they compatible with each other? I'm sure. I I think this is not like a winners take all type market. You're literally talking about when you're building a new world. um, Anyone that's living on the physical earth is that's the TAM. Um, So, I feel like when you have like billions and billions of people ready to onboard, I don't think one world is going to be um, the winner. It's not a winners take all here. Just like in in Web two, I think people a lot of people had this question as. Well, where they're like, hey, is Facebook, you know, going to be the end or be all? Or when they, when it started, out, is MySpace going to be the end all be all? Or is Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, like all of these new ones come up and about, and they, you know, you know, uh, a bunch of people flock to um, each one and use them how they will, and they use it in in, in asynchronously, right? Like I'll still you know message people on Messenger. I'll go on t- TikTok and watch a few things. I'll go on Twitter, like to talk to you know, different type of people. So. I think it's going to be very similar. It's just a pattern. It's going to be very similar to Web2. This is just in the next iteration of the internet. Um, this isn't like an entirely new thing. Metaverse is a massive buzzword. We won't be saying it hopefully soon. It's a bit cringy. It's a bit lame. Um, so, you know, I think that after a while... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just going to be like how Web2 played out. We will be transporting and portaling through all these different types of metaverses and and they will work with each other. And I think big tech just has like the sort of innovators dilemma issue where they're too big to, and they're too slow to sort of create these new and exciting um, experiences that, that the people really want. That's what I'm most excited about. Otherwise, you know, people say, hey, why don't I just buy Facebook stock or meta stock if I want to be bullish on the metaverse? That won't really work out feel like because um, I, you know, I have a hunch they're not going to be the, the big winner
1: here. Ishan, before we just move to chatting about uh, investing in the space a little further and, and close out the interview, I'd love to get your thoughts on your assessment of the Australian crypto industry. We've seen success with uh, Immutable, Digital X and a number of other big players starting to emerge as well. So how how does Australia compare to some
3: other countries around the world? I think so far, I think the Immutable guys um, doing the best job so far, putting Australia on the map. I think I assess the state of yeah you know, the state of everything by talking to the people on the ground. Um, you know, I forget the stat, forget the stats for a second. You have to see like the enthusiasm through the eyes of the people in the trenches building these projects. I do a lot of talks. I go to unis. Um, I you know I'm I'm help sort of run these like Web three programs um, and, and seeing you know students being so excited that like like you're right you're, you're part of like like this gold rush, um, you feel like, hey, this is my chance to sort of live like what what it was like to be in a dot-com bubble or like the social media um, era. So um, in terms of companies being um, built out of here, I think there's a lot of great talent and a lot of projects, a lot of projects in the early stage that I'm seeing being sent to me a lot. And it's usually, you know, the younger people um, jumping on the um, bandwagon first, but, you know, obviously there could be things that that could help more. Like, you know, it wasn't the best idea f- for them to boot off Anamoka. Um, like, although that was essentially, that was, there were Australian stock. They were listed here um, that, that, that could have been a really great Australian uh, story, but you know, now that they're, they're back in sort of Hong Kong and, you know, versus the other countries, I think Australia is still a little bit behind in terms of support. I think Singapore is like a great place uh, where a lot of activities happening um, in America. This obviously America still has a lot of stuff happening in Miami and LA New York, a little bit less of um, San Francisco, which where you would think where all the stuff is happening there. But um, yeah, like I I think Australia could do still do a lot more um, to sort of get this through. And even just us starting like the this metaverse fund, um, yeah, it's been a been a bit of a journey um, legally and structurally. Like in the structurally, um, you know, basing it out here in Australia, it's something that I've had to do a lot of education and a lot of talking, building relationships with people to sort of get on board. You know. this was, it, it, I could have, you know, had a much easier time doing it elsewhere. I, I truly think, uh, you know, if this is the next iteration of the internet, um, the next Atlassian is going to be born out of Web3. And, um, you know, there's, there's going to be great Australian startups. And I, I think Australia could, I think it's up for grabs, like I said before, um, and someone and people in Australia, I think multiple startups in Australia will will um Shine and Web three and yeah, hopefully I can find them and, and invest in them. I'd love to do that.
2: Speaking of investment, it's really easy to get excited about this space and um, you know everything that's going on and you hear some of these stories and um, you're just like you, you get you get really excited and really bullish and you want to have get in there. But as with any sort of new technology, there's a lot of hype um, and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of projects that are real and then there are a lot of projects that may uh, burst with a bubble if, if it does burst so how do you separate I guess the signal from the noise how do you what, what are some of the things that you look for to really know that this is a real project
3: I think the biggest thing so far is community engagement. People actually active and talking in like the discords and, and, and Twitter and a, a lot of people, a lot of projects these days, like you said, um, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of like botting of, of community and, and, and you know, they'll, they'll buy fake followers and they'll buy fake activities in, in the discord and stuff like that. So you really need to go in and, you know, talk to people. I, I actually go into projects and I'll see the people that are in the discords and I'll like DM the people that are in the Discords and like see if they're a real person. I'm like, hey, where are you from? You know, do you like how old are you? Blah blah blah. Um, how'd you find this project? Um, I'll see if they're actually talking, you know, you can you can tell if they're you know a real person by having a good chat with them and even maybe getting a voice call and getting a group of them. So I think that's number one. I think transparency is huge. Um getting access in terms of like like to their GitHub and seeing the repo and like actually looking and you know, auditing the smart, smart contract so they can't rug you, um, which if people aren't familiar with that term, um, you know, there's a lot of these these scammy projects that will, you know, build build the hype and then, and then liquidate all their tokens um, on, on you so they can sort of run off um, with the wind. So you have to assess the governance design, see the incentivizations of, of the, you know, the the tokenomics, um, really assess that, we'll see what their network effect is and how strong it is. And, you know, it, it'd be the same as Web2 in terms of assessing the team, like, you know, what's their background, um, what's the locking period, I guess, is it's a pretty good one for for the, you know, how, how they're going to invest um, their tokens. And it's just, yeah, is this not a, a, a sort of rug pull? That's the biggest thing in crypto I think you have to look out for is, yeah, it is the wild west. Um, it's, yeah, like you said, it's the gold rush. And so a lot of people are trying to get rich quick and, and run off with, uh, with, you know, with a buck. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things you can do in terms of on the, on the mostly on the um, the sort of qualitative side. Hey, look, is this what you're building real? Are people to or this? Is this traction in your product? You know, is everyone... Um, equally aligned for the first time uh, and, and this is the beauty of web three all stakeholders have incentive and they're all aligned so your users your investors the builders the, you know develop, uh, you know you sort of developers that are building on top everyone's aligned because uh, you know you have this token and and i think it's it's really important to um assess all of that to try and distinguish the yeah the the fake from, from the real
1: Well, Ishan, speaking of hype and to close out the interview today, recent data from Non-Fungible has suggested that the average selling price for an NFT has dropped 70% from the 2nd of Jan. Uh, How are you thinking about this market fall? Will we be talking about NFTs in six months' time or is it a thing of the
0: past?
3: Yeah. So yeah, obviously me doing the fund and being fully invested. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a fad, uh, but you know, I, I think the average selling prices is, is irrelevant in terms of in the future, NFTs individually shouldn't be worth millions of dollars. Most will be like under 10 bucks. The actual participation of, uh, of people um, in volume, of, of, you can see that through the volume of the trading of, trading of volumes should be the actual indicator of the activity. I think once the speculation dies down, real activity starts building. That's what we've just been through. Um, The first phase of NFTs was like these sort of art collectibles, how you buy them and you flex them and blah, blah, blah. That is just pure speculation for the most part. And... Yeah, you know, that was that was only really the case because hey, look, it's really easy to like spin up, um, you know, art. Like it's pretty easy to draw stuff and like you know computer generated art and to sell it off. It's really fast. You know that that's naturally going to be the first thing. And I, and I don't. And this isn't my quote, but anything great that has impact, someone said, um, has is starts off as a plaything for the rich. And that's what NFTs were. A bunch of people made, a, you know, these millionaires and billionaires were minted because crypto was going up. And what are they going to do when they have all this money? Are they going to go buy um, the stuff that these Web2 millionaires and billionaires did? Some of it, yeah. But, uh, you know, some of the people uh, would want to allocate some of the, you know their winnings back into the ecosystem that made them, that that was their wealth creation vehicle. And so that's why you've seen, like, all these sort of crazy um, NFTs uh, Going for millions of dollars and whatnot, but this is still from a pretty small sample space of a few million people. Although the average selling price, based on a few million people, is probably going to drop because most of them were speculating. You know, once you know a lot of these projects that takes time to build that are great projects, especially in the game fight area, which is which I am from, to build like a great AAA title game, you can't build in a month or thirty days. It takes it takes like a long time. A lot of those will start to come out that are true and, and and real projects that. Yeah. <laughs> people want to play first and the NFTs are secondary. It's not that the NFTs are first and they want to play secondary. They really need to be hooked on and, and play, want to play um, and be in these worlds first. Yeah, that's that's what I think about um, sort of the market falling in terms of those the sort of selling price. I, I think that, yeah, speculation dies down, the real activity starts building.
2: Mm. Yeah. There's a mental model that we talk about a lot on the show from Carlotta Perez uh, talks about how whenever there's new technology, uh, capital flo- floods to that. That sort of new exciting technology that capital forms a bubble that bubble bursts, and then out of that the sort of real projects real companies are real use cases of that technology emerge and uh, in the dot-com bubble we saw out of the ashes of the 2001 market crash we saw Facebook so not Facebook Amazon and Google and Microsoft really yeah. emerge and have their two decades of dominance since so you know, Bryce and I talk about that in the crypto and NFT space. Uh, we don't know enough to start assessing what those projects and what those tokens are, but it feels like you do, Ashan. So I'm sure this won't be the last time we speak to you. We're very excited to understand yeah, this more and get our heads around this space. Uh, but today we have run out of time. So until we next get you on the show, if people want to follow you online and Learn more about the fund and and what you're looking at. Is there anywhere in particular they should go?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm mostly on Instagram and Twitter. So on on Instagram it'll just be my name, Ishan Hark, um, and then on Twitter it'll be Ishan Hark just without the U E because I wasn't an OG and I couldn't get my uh, on Twitter. So <laughs> I'm mostly on those two things. And um, yeah, really thanks for having me, guys. Um, my girlfriend's a huge fan actually of of you two and listens to the show a lot. So um, shout out to my girlfriend Nicole. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks guys, it's really awesome um, being on here. And I could talk about this man stuff for hours like there's so much to talk about um and so th- the investor of show actually goes for like a couple of hours um so yeah i'd love to come back on again and, and yeah i'd love to hear the feedback from the viewers so yeah let me know message me on instagram twitter and let me know what you guys ask me questions or whatever
1: we will uh one of my new year's resolutions that i wrote down at the start of the year was to buy a property in the metaverse so this is <laughs> in, this is re- ins- yeah. reignited yeah i hold you but, accountable to
3: it yeah thank you very yeah, much yeah.
1: appreciate your time. Thank
3: you,
1: guys. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you, so drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time.
0: Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equitymates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video.